Welcome back to Is It Horror? This is Season 3, Episode 10, Saltburn. I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. And I am Steve. And unfortunately, Matt will not be joining us this week, but hopefully he'll be back with us in two weeks. He went on a vacation, weirdo. Yeah, that punk. Who goes on vacations? Apparently that's where all the good Pokemon are. I don't know, we'll have to ask him about it next time. But in any case, if you haven't joined us before, each episode we analyze a piece of media, usually a movie whose horror status is debatable. We look at the creator's intent, audience reception, and the content of the media, all in an effort to better define the horror genre. If you agree with our take, that's awesome, and if you don't, that's awesome too. As always, horror is a diverse genre, and all are welcome. And before we get into the film, we'll go to Joe's Get to Know You Corner. Joe? Okay, so today on In the Corner, uh, we so we're talking about Saltburn, um, and uh, it has some disturbing things to it. But we wanted I wanted to ask you guys what what are some non horror movies that you found dis- disturbing? Well, I did have a list, but then I also sneak peeked at Steve's list, and we had too many similar movies. So I'm only going to steal one um, because it was the first thing that came to mind when I heard this question. I think that Requiem for a Dream was probably the most scarring thing I've seen in a while. Um, And other ones that I would have to put on like honorable mentions would be things like American History X, um, even Train Spotting. And uh, there's a movie called Doubt that had Philip Seymour Hoffman and I think it was Meryl Streep in it. And that was pretty darn good. Also disturbing. Um, Also, the Lars von Trier um, nymphomaniac was really upsetting and bizarre. And my last honorable mention is Showgirls, because come on. Honestly, that's a solid list right there. Uh, So I'm going to have to steal one or borrow one as well from steve's list (laughs) it was rather complete yeah it's uh it was the first thing that came to my mind it's a different one but uh the first like really disturbing movie to me that i'm sure is not horror is don't look up um i remember just like seeing that movie and just being like this is this is too real and this is just really disturbing (laughs) Another one that's sort of in that vein for me is one I watched recently, actually, with Steve as well, um, but that's uh, Leave the World Behind, um, and I, I don't think it was cool. It, it didn't hit quite as hard on the disturbing side for me as Don't Look Up, uh, but it was sort of, it sort of felt similar. It's like, oh, well, th- this is maybe a little too real um, or could be too real, so um, I think those are at least a couple of, couple for me. Leave the World Behind was interesting to me, not to go into like a whole tangent about it, mind you, but it was another one that kind of, I feel like it sort of hit social media about the same time as Saltburn with not a lot of details, but a lot of people saying it was kind of affecting for them. So it was sort of interesting having those hit at the same time and then be completely different animals as far as that goes. But uh, yeah, as far as, so yeah, my list, I guess I'll go ahead and I'll put it out there is uh, we need to talk about Kevin, Requiem for a Dream old boy i'm lame and i've only seen the american version but uh still and then a clockwork orange kind of maybe not for me so much these days but definitely when i watched it the first time and then uh, as joe mentioned don't look up 
And uh, it's one of those things, too, where I suppose, like, saying that Don't Look Up is one of the most disturbing non-horror films you've seen maybe pegs you pretty openly as a liberal. But, you know, that's fine. That's where it's at. And then, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, then Old Boy, mostly you're fine, except for that twist. And you're just like, oh, God, okay. And then as Brianna said, Requiem for a Dream, that one, too, is one where it's it's a good movie, but it's a painful watch the entire way through. So those are at least ones for me that I was thinking like, yeah, I don't think that any of them are horror, but uh, I do think that they're disturbing. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I, (laughs) a lot of disturbing things there, (laughs) but uh, yeah, thanks for joining us in the corner. And then as we put our car in reverse and back out of the corner, we're talking about Saltburn this week. That was released on November 17th, 2023. Uh, The director and writer of that was Emerald Fennell. She also wrote and directed Promising Young Woman, and she also worked on Killing Eve, the second season, uh, before directing. She was an actor. She was in Called Midwife and The Crown. And then as far as the the back-of-the-box description for Saltburn... Academy Award-winning filmmaker Emerald Fennell brings us a beautifully wicked tale of privilege and desire. Struggling to find his place at Oxford University, student Oliver Quick finds himself drawn into the world of the charming and aristocratic Felix Catton, who invites him to Saltburn, his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. So, uh, since I'm so good at this, spoiler warning, anything in the film is up for grabs, so if you haven't seen it, definitely pause this and watch it and come back. If you don't care about spoilers, well then, game on and follow with us. So, as far as the director's intent goes, I have a quote here from Emerald Fennell from On Demand Entertainment, where she said, I think it's sort of a combination of both. It's when it's that when you get actors as good as the actors are in this film is that you kind of have that uncanny feeling of this exactly what I wanted. And then also more than better, more than that better, man, I said that weird. Anyway, uh, you know, more kind of excruciating, you know, more kind of excruciatingly more hilarious. They're so, so brilliant. All of them. Also, all of them, like, really exceptional comic actors, because this really is, like, in its heart, a very, very, very dark comedy. So it was important that everyone felt real, but there was also this kind of sick humor that everyone really, really understood. End quote. To give a little context, basically what she was asked is kind of, uh, if when you're setting up a movie like this, if it's if it's more scripted or if it's more kind of coming from the actors to kind of get the feel that you're wanting. And so anyway, as it says there in the quote, she describes it as a very, very, very dark comedy. And then in general, in general, Emerald has said in multiple interviews that her focus in making this film was to kind of explore how all encompassing and destructive obsession and desire can be. So as far as meta tags go, this is one that was released on prime so you don't have as much streaming data as many services that are looking at it and classifying it. But uh, the one that came up most often was comedy, with five places labeling it as such, and then one labeling it black comedy, so really kind of six. 
And then drama, there were four. Thriller, there was three, but also one specifically said psychological thriller, so kind of four in that case as well. And suspense. Uh, of note, since it was released on Prime, they specifically labeled it as comedy, drama, and suspense. So no labels of horror there. And then since it hasn't been out very long, at least as of this recording, we don't really have any Google or Wikipedia search trends. There's not really been a Halloween since then to check to see if it gets a bump, uh, bump during that time period. Uh, as far as Google autocomplete, if you just type in is Saltburn, scary is one of the first ones that comes up. So a lot of people searching is Saltburn scary. And then we also, finally, we did an Instagram poll of our followers there, and we had 67% say that, so the options were, is it horror? Definitely. No, but very disturbing, and nope, not at all. And so no one said definitely. We had 67% say no, but very disturbing, and 33% said just nope, straight out, it's not horror. So, with all of that in mind, Saltburn is it horror. This was a crazy ride, but this was not horror. Yeah, that's where I fell on it too. Um, not horror. Yeah, I I got close to convincing myself otherwise on it, but I just couldn't quite get there. And we'll get into why I came close on it, but I, I still said no, that it wasn't. So, uh, going into this, one of the biggest claims to the horror genre that Saltburn has is that a lot of people find it disturbing. So, obviously, we started out with that a little bit earlier, too. So, first off, when we say a film is disturbing, what does that really mean to you? Um, I think that a disturbing film is subjective the same way that horror is subjective. I think that some people would consider this horror um, in addition to being disturbing because I think that horror is usually disturbing. Um, but I think that in order to have something be really disturbing, I think that for me it has to cross a lot of major social taboos. This movie definitely ticked all the boxes for me um, on that one. So. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say this is a disturbing movie, too. I think that's a pretty good definition of it. I uh, I don't know that I have tons to add on it. I guess for me, disturbing, there's a few, there's a few different types of ways I get disturbed. And, you know, some of them are just like ick factors. And, you know, that can mean a lot of things, you know, just things that are gross, things that are, um, you know, kind of more along those lines. Uh, I suppose, uh, in this case and like in some of the movies we mentioned previously, like the disturbing was more psychological, especially like if I see like in the case of, uh, don't look up, like that was extremely disturbing to me because it was too real and too like horrible the way people were reacting to, to that. I know we don't need to like get on a huge tangent about that movie. Uh, uh, but, uh. But it just, it felt like something that could happen. And it was like a apocalypse. It was an end of world event uh, that was just too real. <laughs> um, so I guess that's, I, I don't know if it's, 
if it's that sort of thing that I could see happening and it's that terrible, like, I guess that's disturbing to me as well. Um, yeah, I guess that's a few of my thoughts on it. I guess for me, when I think of something that's disturbing, it has to be affecting in a way that sticks with me. It hit on something that I find myself uncontrollably thinking about for a while afterward. I think that I can think of a few films that have done that and a few stories that have done that, but I actually got confronted with a good example of that more recently in comics. I don't know if anyone's ever read the zombie series. It's sort of a zombie series by, I believe it's Garth Ennis called Crossed. And the idea with it, it's sort of like sadness if you've ever seen that movie, because the idea is it's, you have someone who's infected and in crossed, they have kind of like an infection across their face that looks like a cross, but basically it's just a type of violent insanity. And, uh, so there's a particular sequence in there that I just, after reading the comic, it just stuck with me for a real long time. I won't go into great detail on it, but it's in the very first volume. And the idea is that there's this husband, a wife, and a kid who uh, they're happen to be with this larger group and they're trying to avoid the crossed, but they get kind of backed into a corner the wife sprains her ankle. She's basically like, just take our kid and go. But the guy's gotten in his head that if he makes a ring of salt, that that's going to stop the crossed from attacking them. So he tries that and it doesn't work. And the single panel sequence of what happens to the family afterward is something that stayed with me for a while. So I would say that's the kind of thing I think of as disturbing. Something that sits with me for a while, something that I can't stop thinking about for a while afterward. And I don't think that that has to be horror, but definitely some of the films I've said, there's things about them that I've just had to sort of stop and think about for a while afterward. But uh, so obviously we've all kind of already cited some movies that aren't horror that we find disturbing. So do you think, I guess, what's, what's the bridge you have to cross there? When does... A disturbing film also become horror is it just hitting the general horror tropes or is there some other magic formula why didn't the level of disturbing we get here cross into horror for you i think that this is again a question that i'm going to answer with the almighty it doesn't have the venn diagram requirements like i keep saying horror needs to have these different elements and they don't all need to be the same but there is kind of a recipe that happens when certain things overlap and for me um this movie had um it had a little bit of like psychological suspense it had of course, so many like ick factors and crossed so many like physical and sexual taboos. Um, it just, there were not enough of the Venn diagram circles filled for this one. This was, this was really more like transgressive art film for me. Um, I read a few different articles where they mentioned that, um, there was a criticism where they felt that this film was much more, um, like style over substance, like shock value over substance. And I feel like I would tend to agree with that in some areas. I think one thing for me too, I, that pushes disturbing into horror is I I think it's got to maybe, 
I'm not sure on this. I guess I'm kind of talking out loud about it as I'm thinking about it, but I feel like it maybe needs to involve a little more um, danger or violence um, for it to kind of push it into the horror realm. There's plenty of disturbing things in this movie, uh, but a lot of the things that I guess I think of right off the top of my head that were disturbing were just kind of were just weird and like they but they didn't necessarily put anybody into danger um with the exception of maybe like some of the manipulation uh but uh but you know like the bathtub and like the grave and like a lot of those things that you're just like what am i watching uh like they it 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 never was it never had the violence or the like danger for anybody i guess or at least that's how i felt about it um so i think that's maybe for me personally a little more um of a necessity if it's horror disturbing it's just some sort of endangerment yeah it was a study on shitty people you know more so than to make you afraid <laughs> yeah would you both say though that you you did find it disturbing though or did you not really there was ick factor for me but i i'll be honest with you i wasn't rooting for a single character in this movie not one they're all just no. terrible people <laughs> that also being yeah. said i want to be real clear that i thought the actors oh my gosh like all of them should be nominated like they played these characters so incredibly well they did such an in immensely good job but i mean this movie was this movie was a lot yeah uh i i did find it disturbing i will say like it was less so than i was expecting it to be i kind of went in like ready to just be shocked out of my mind and there was there was some there was some bad things there was some bad uh or not bad but just disturbing things i guess uh but it didn't quite hit the tone that i thought it was going to hit without doing a lot of research beforehand i just i had seen the trailer i had um uh, seen some images and things like that from the movie and i expected it to be a lot worse than it was so i kind of had the, the experience of going through the movie and kind of being like oh that was weird but when's it gonna get really weird um and it, it never quite got there uh for what i was expecting but that being said it still did have disturbing things in it that's kind of where i ended up too i mean joe and i watched it here together but i yeah, I think that I didn't know a lot about it going into it. A lot of times when I end up choosing a movie for this show, I'll see what's getting buzz. And if it's getting buzz kind of like throughout the horror community, just kind of like Instagram and Twitter of horror. And uh, so I saw people talking about it, but I went in knowing very little intentionally, just knowing people found it disturbing. And I, yeah, again, same thing. I was ready for it to get real bad. And then when I saw the stuff that people thought was disturbing about it, I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, I thought it was going to be a lot worse. If we weren't doing the show on it, I think I would have thought that's weird, but I, it wouldn't have resonated with me past that. I went in expecting it to hit harder. No, I was just going to say, like, I did hear the hype about it and how, like, it was disturbing. So because I'm a weenie and I don't do surprises, I immediately went to Wikipedia and read the plot summary. And I was like, all right, that's pretty fucking weird, but I think I can handle it. 
so I guess as far as the the last thing on just approaching disturbing specifically, and then we'll get into all the reasons why people might have found it that way. Just in general, out of curiosity, do you feel like horror fans would really see this as disturbing, or is it probably, just in your opinion, more non-horror fans that are describing it that way? Does it really matter, I guess? I don't know if it matters because it's subjective, but I really feel like non-horror folks would probably call this horror. I could see that for for some of those things. Okay, so I guess the first thing we'll kind of get into then, since this is the most obvious reason why people found it disturbing, is basically horror usually incorporates some sort of societal trespass or taboo, something transgressive, uh, some type of social boundary pushing. So usually these boundaries revolve around death and or violence. However, while Saltburn does have some of that, it's most boundary pushing is sexual in nature with this film. So do you feel that sexual scenes in Saltburn served a plot purpose or were they there just to disturb and shock the audience? I think it was a little bit of both um, because a lot of the like sexually transgressive scenes that we see allow us to understand who the character of Oliver is. Um, and we get to see the extremely manipulative, um, like diabolically confident. Like, I don't know. He sort of, he, he becomes like this really evil person in those scenes somehow. So did you say inherently there's some danger surrounding him, I guess, just to follow up on that? Um, yeah, I feel like the way he's portrayed in those scenes, like there is sort of a, um, in, he's supposed to, he kind of transforms a little bit into that overconfident, um, seemingly a bit dangerous sort of person. And it's it's sort of a weird transformation. And I think those are windows into, like, as an audience, you kind of get the window into the two-faced nature of the character because uh, he can be really kind of submissive looking. He can be really, like, um, just, like, going along with the flow, just happy to be there. But then he kind of switches gears and is just, like, you know, like the scene in the garden with the sister and he's just kind of, you know, basically just owning her, <laughs> owning the scene and owning her and telling her what's happening. Uh, and which is really contrary to a lot of the other scenes I feel like you see. So, you know, scenes like that for me, like they were a big like red flag as to who, what type of character this person is and just being like, okay, uh, you know, I can't, this among other things, like I can't trust anything this guy's doing or saying, like there's, uh, you know, don't trust him. He's, you know, he gets called a spider and such in the, throughout the movie. And I, I think that's a good description of him. Um, the other thing I was going to say was as far, along the, like, um, are those things in there for, uh, I guess my my point would be like I uh, the director said you know she uh, was wanting to focus on what obsession looked like and I feel like that 
those scenes, I think, really hammered that away. Like, I feel like some, maybe they went a little overboard, but like, you know, I think it was kind of a commentary on like, you know, sex can be weird and sex can be gross. Uh, but like, uh, but we still do those things. And if your obsession is so, so much, I guess though, those scenes just like, I don't know, just maybe speak to that obsession a little bit. Sorry, I'm trailing off a little bit on on my thought train there. But um, I think that was sort of the intention of them. And I do think it was somewhat purposeful. So I guess another aspect of this, too, is a lot of times when you're thinking of horror pushing boundaries with death and violence, then obviously someone's being hurt. And you would almost never call the situation mutually consensual. (laughs) Uh, But here where we're doing sexual boundary pushing and it might make you uncomfortable as an audience member and maybe it's being done to manipulate people. But when we're watching these sex scenes that Oliver has in this film, they are mutually consented to. So does that make it different? Maybe you find it disturbing, but the fact that both parties are game for what's happening, does that keep it from being something that could be considered horror? No, because if we're thinking about classics like Dracula, I think that part of the part of what's being said here is that evil can be seductive and danger can be seductive. But in both the cases of, uh, shoot, I need to think of the names of the characters, uh, Venetia and Felix, or not Felix, sorry, Venetia and uh, Farley, mm-hmm. Oliver is certainly aiming to control both of them to a degree through sex, but both of them more or less, you know, maybe he's got them in the long game, but in the short game, both of them basically say, okay, yeah, we did that, but I'm still going to be at what I was doing before. So the seduction doesn't really work. I just feel like the power dynamic doesn't shift when it's all said and done and the act is over. I I don't know. Do you agree or disagree? I think that Oliver has sex with both of those characters because it serves as a way to drive the family apart. It puts them at odds. Because Felix is pretty pissed when he finds out that like he got together with his sister. And then Oliver says, oh, well, Farley is a liar and just runs his mouth and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's all just, it's so very manipulative. It's true. I think um, if they hadn't been consensual, it would have shifted the tone of the movie for me. I guess I'm, I'm not sure if that would have made it horror for me or just a different type of disturbing. Um more disturbing but but maybe still not in the horror side i don't know because earlier i said like the disturbing needed to have some um potential danger in it and that's definitely more dangerous um i'm not sure i guess is my short answer on that well going back to the other point though too i guess did you feel that these characters were in danger when oliver was engaging with them I don't think that I did. Um, I don't think until like the whole master plan is revealed at the end with the montage. I don't think that it, um, I don't think I saw it that way until all the pieces were together. 
I didn't either. I guess I, I I felt like while watching that, like I was watching these characters with Venetia and Farley, um, kind of giving up control, but it's sort of in that way that it's like they could take it back at any time if they wanted to. Like she could have just been like, nope, I'm not into this. I'm getting up and leaving. And I wouldn't have thought Oliver would have done anything to her if she did. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I didn't. Yeah, I guess that's how, how I felt. Yeah, I think I would tend to agree just because I feel like they could have said no. They could have backed away from it. And I think at least for me anyway, watching those sequences, it was kind of more just like I curiosity of, all right, well, how's this going to play out? Because it's been zigging and zagging in ways I wasn't quite predicting. So, so who knows? But I wasn't afraid for any of the characters, I wouldn't say. And then just going back to the idea of whether or not it's intentionally being disturbing or shocking, and just to kind of compare it against a horror franchise that dabbles in that, of course, as well. If the film, if they were trying in part to disturb or shock the audience, how does that differ from horror franchises, horror franchises like Evil Dead, as an example, accomplishing the same goal through violence? Is it just the violence? I guess, how does how does that compare and contrast here? I think it is mostly just the violence. I think that horror almost always incorporates some sort of blood, guts, and gore. Um, and I think that because that's such a like a, a strong characteristic of horror for me, that that is the main difference. I don't think that just because something is like sexually explicit or, you know, crosses sexual taboos that it can automatically be horror. I think that's generally where I fall on that too, is it probably is just the violence. Um, uh, I guess, and the danger that I kind of talked about earlier, I was thinking about another like sort of a, a horror movie that I'm, I feel like is definitely horror, but sort of was crossing some of the like sexual lines was uh don't breathe. Uh, that one was very disturbing to me. Oh Yeah. Yeah, and there was definite danger there. There was definitely definite non-consent with the whole with everything in yeah. that movie, but but so that was but there was also just the the violence and the danger there. Um so yeah. I feel like there needs to be screaming during the deaths or else it's it just doesn't it's not horror. I don't know. You don't want silence during deaths like Sin City and Elijah Wood's character dying? Well, I mean, it's not like I don't like it. I mean, that entertains me as well. <laughs> it is still cinema. But yeah, I just, I think that when it's, you know, I think there needs to be blood, guts, gore, screaming, and splatter. That's why Evil Dead is horror and Saltburn is not. That's fair. <laughs> what would you say is the most disturbing sequence of this movie for you? Um, you know, that's a really good question because, okay, all the spoiler alerts ever. Um, I was, I feel like the most violent part of it was probably when Oliver, like, as he straddles her, just like completely de-intubates Elspeth. That was violent. Like, I, 
I know I can only imagine what that must feel like, even when you're unconscious, like that was pretty gross. Um, but if we're being real, um, the, the bathtub rim job is what got me. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, that's a perfect description of it. I hadn't thought of that, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. That was so gross. Like I was just praying that because of course, like during filming and stuff, there's like different things that they will have the actor eat that is actually edible, but looks completely gross. Like, um, you know, you make vomit out of cocoa puffs and and milk and raisins or something. Um, And I'm just, I was really hoping that that bath water was just like Cremora or something and not like, can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah, that one was that one was pretty bad. <laughs> um, I, that's probably it for me. I I think at the end of the day, the things like I kind of mentioned a little bit. I would think we're gonna jump into some of this next. Is like the, some of the more most like kind of overarching disturbing things to me were just how much manipulation was going on and seeing some of that side of things. But the like ick factor things that was that was definitely top of the list for me. Yeah, I think that's probably the one for me as well. I do think the graveside scene was pretty weird, but I guess at least as far as as we've already brought up several times, the ick factor was just kind of more like, oh, that's what you're going for? Well, that doesn't seem like that would at all be comfortable, but okay, do you do you, or you do the grave, or whatever the case may be. <laughs> I was like, dude, you're going to wake up with the worst UTI on the planet. That is all I can think. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so to kind of go into the other side of this, the psychological part of it, uh, to start out, I guess, what characters did you like the most? Did you like anybody? I guess, Brianna, you said you really didn't feel like you did, but... Yeah, let's let's get into it. Well, I I didn't say that. I said I didn't root for any of the characters. Oh, like good. I did not find I didn't find any kind of um I don't know, sufficiently redeeming qualities, but um I'm going to absolutely murder his last name because I'm a dumb American. Um but Barry Kyogen, is that how you say it? I think so. I've seen him in a couple interviews. I think that's Maybe. right. Okay, well, that nice young Irish man, um, he was fan-fucking-tastic, and Oliver might have been the very best character. It was tough. I really did love Elspeth, too, because Rosamund Pike can do no wrong, but I I hated and loved Oliver. Like, it was, it was really a masterful um, acting job, I guess. For me, um, I don't know. It was kind of an interesting... Interesting thing on the character side for me, because like I agree, I didn't root for anybody. I didn't think anybody was a good person. Um, but they're just garbage. It was just oh, yeah. like the more they revealed about them, I was just like, oh, you deserve whatever you get. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, and but then like I think each of them had whether uh, they I don't think it outweighed any of their terrible person things but each of them had like good characteristics too um which I I felt like it made them feel like real people and it made them like I feel like everybody was fairly well fleshed out characters uh which just I think does speak to the actors and 
and the writing. Um, so I, I think it was really well done that way. I will say that I feel like almost every character had at least a moment or a beat in the movie where I wanted so badly to empathize with them. And then they turned around and did something so just gross and despicable as a human being that I was like, nope, there goes that redeeming quality. But they, but yeah. still, like, even when I hated them, I still managed to have bits of empathy depending on, you know, what their experiences were. Yeah, for sure. I think at least for me anyway, looking at like Elsbeth and and Felix, I kind of at least had the sense that they at least wanted to be seen as good people and maybe maybe wanted to be good people, but that they just were too far removed from the normal human experience to know what that means exactly. So they just that was such an eloquent and like diplomatic way of saying that rich people are an entirely different breed, honey. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. They are not like us. They are so different. You make over 300k a year and you are a changed person. Yeah, it just and what what they think is being a good person is just I don't know. As the movie states outwardly in many instances, it's like they're they get bored of their philanthropy pretty quickly. So they can only help people so far until they are like, well, I need a new shiny thing. Yeah, and but they they like I don't know, it's like I think you what had the way you stated that was perfect, but yeah, it's like they they do do good things and like and it's not all about being seen as a good person too. I don't think like you know felix spotting oliver in the bar like and went going out of his way to make sure like that it's not like he told everybody that he did that like the only other person who knew about that was oliver and you know oliver was playing him as we find out but like as far as him as an internal character just him him himself like he was trying to do a nice thing uh you know, like like you said, Brianna, though, but then he turns around and does something horrible here or there or whatever. But I, I don't know. It's just weird. They're just good characters that way. And I think it does speak to what you're talking about. Just sort of being that rich is a whole different animal. Would you say that either of you were surprised by the reveal of Oliver's true nature? I was not surprised because, again, I cheated and read Wikipedia first. Oh, right. Um, but I think that <laughs> – yeah, sorry. I hate surprises. They're the worst. Um, but I do – I'm – hold on. I lost it. Wait. No, I got it. Okay. <laughs> so I I did have um, – I had a little bit of surprise when I saw him seducing – what was her name? Venetia, right? Yeah. The sister? That really was like, like Joe said, like huge red flag. I'm like, oh, oh, we're dealing with something like this now. Like that was, that was the only time when I was like, oh, okay. I see you, you little weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I was too, I, I when I first started watching the movie, um, I had a different perception of what he was, but I think I started feeling a lot differently about him pretty early on. I think the first 
kind of red flag to me was like when they were at school and like not to say that he was a good character either but like i forget the character's name but the like smart friend who's like sort of also not rich or whatever but uh but you know is trying to like kind of forcing himself into the friendship but still like whatever but then oliver just like immediately tosses that friendship aside and doesn't look back uh literally and figuratively uh that was kind of i think a red flag for me is just like okay this he's he's a little sinister or like maybe at that point i didn't think sinister but just like he's willing to kind of tread on people um and so you know that was maybe my first red flag then some of the sex scenes and how he dealt with that and then you know by the time you get to uh felix taking him to his parents then it's just like okay well it, just everything he says is, could be a lie yeah and i think for me the earliest sequence in the movie where i think i had a conscious thought of like i don't trust the information we're being given is he gets the phone call that in theory is supposed to be about his dad dying but that we didn't see the phone call it kind of made me think like but what was it really though and at that point i guess forward i kind of didn't really trust what was going on with him i don't know because i've known at least one person in my life who will just lies about everything that was going on with them to the point of like telling people about how ridiculously wealthy they were and it always sounded a little bit like what someone would think a wealthy person's life would be like if they were if they were like on a tv show (laughs) it was it was basically someone who was only idea of what being wealthy was like from keeping up with the kardashians and it took a while before kind of like realizing oh this person is lying about everything so i don't know i guess in my head I'm always a little bit on the lookout for that when it comes to films. Like if they're starting to tell us things and you don't see it happen, then you're kind of like, all right, well, if only if the only account we get is from the character describing things, then that tells us something too. So I didn't really trust Oliver. Certainly by the time he got to Saltburn, I wasn't trusting him. And because of that, I didn't really have any sort of sympathy for him. I didn't know how bad it was going to get or if it, you know, what he was going to do, but I didn't really have any sympathy for him. I guess I was curious, did you, did you ever feel sympathetic for him? It sounded like you were kind of like maybe halfway there, Brianna, from what you were saying earlier. Well, I mean, as a fellow bisexual in her villain era, I did, I did have some empathy, but guys, murder is bad, you know? I don't know. I just, I couldn't get all the way there because I I felt like everyone, everyone in the movie kind of, they just, they just weren't redeemable. But I also wasn't able to view all of them as human enough. I don't know. But I, I don't think I had sympathy, ultimately. See, he's not doing villainy as well as you're doing villainy, you feel like. That, well, I'm doing <laughs> lawful villainy. I, yeah. I'm I'm lawful if nothing else. <laughs> I I maybe had sympathy for him early on before I was starting to pick up a few things and like uh you know I I've lost a parent too so like that hit a chord for me. Um 
you know, but then it was still like a feeling of, okay, but what's actually going on? Um, so the, the first part of it, the first part of the movie was definitely kind of a mixed bag of whether or not to feel sympathy for him, I guess. Uh, so there's that, I guess. I do think I felt a little bad for him when Felix springs it on him that like, hey, we're going to visit your parents today. And you hear Oliver like beg in like this little kid voice like, no, 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 please, 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 please don't make me like that made me feel a little bit. And then you find out his dad's alive. And I'm just like, you little bitch. Like, I couldn't believe that. That was unreal. Yeah. (laughs) And I've seen uh, Barry Keoghan talk about that part and him feeling like that's kind of the only time you're really getting a look at what what oliver's actually yeah, like he seems human it's the only time in the movie that oliver is afraid like that was that made him the most human but then again in the next scene he totally blows it because we find out he's this sociopathic little shit yeah so does he feel like a character out of a horror film though because obviously if he's the greatest kind of threat throughout the film does he we obviously we said we didn't feel like anybody was in danger during his one-on-one sequences with anyone so yeah does he feel like a character out of a horror film no because as i was watching this and then i i felt like vindicated because after i read some more things about the movie and apparently other folks agreed with me or had the same impression i got very much from this movie like the talent talented mr ripley type vibes yeah so i I don't think that it made it hard yeah like it was more psycho psychological dramedy i don't know there were some funny funny lines in here but it wasn't enough to like push it over the line for me i guess i don't uh, he i guess i don't think he ever felt like a horror character to me um you know, he maybe gets sort of close at the end when you find out he's actually killing people or putting people in an easy way to die. Uh, but I, I, he didn't feel like a horror character to me. I guess just as a tangent to that, did you did you like the ending for him? How that came out? I kind of maybe would have preferred if they'd left it ambiguous instead of, you know, here's how he did it kind of thing. Because that to me invited too many additional questions of this Rube Goldbergian sinister machinations to get this all together. Yeah, I would have preferred them left it ambiguous. I, I agree. Like, cause then I, I spent a lot of time afterwards being like, okay, well, what all did he do? What was he responsible for? And, you know, uh, at the, uh, at the end of that, and Stephen, I discussed it, several different times but i think he was a little bit more just kind of flying by the seat of his pants and being an opportunist with a lot of things uh but but because they framed the ending in the way they did you did have to kind of ask yourself okay well how how much was he doing putting a tack in the bike tire you know was the first domino in his master plan and i really don't think he actually did have that master plan and i, I think it would have been a more I would have spent a lot of time, I think, thinking about whether he was responsible or not, which I think would have been maybe more interesting to me. I think the ending really cemented this as more like um, satire, 
or social commentary like the ending on let's face it a somewhat comedic note i mean that was some really supreme um interpretive dance um i'm glad that the actor is super comfy with his body good for him <laughs> but it, it was like it was sort of like the um like the the final joke like that was the final laugh it was like yeah it it really all was just so i mean that's what i'd be doing if i had a mansion by the sea i'd be smoking a joint dance and naked through the whole damn place like i support him but it really <laughs> it was funny to me more than anything else and that's funny too because i've heard quotes from him saying that same thing too is like you know that's something that we all do when we're home by yeah. ourselves any of us would do so it's like yeah yeah Absolutely. i'd probably have to do it at least once that dance floor would have to be murdered <laughs> absolutely so at least in terms of oliver do you feel like he ever really loved felix and and does it even matter when it's all said and done to whether you classified this as horror or not i don't think that he loved him i think that he was i think he wanted to be him i think that felix was everything that oliver knew he could never be um you know oliver was never going to be the tall athletic golden boy he was never going to be the heir to this you know fortune mansion by the sea and all that um i think that oliver was obsessed with possessing felix and that's not the same as love so i think that when the even when they open the movie and we hear um oliver saying you know i loved him but i wasn't in love with him i think he's lying on like i i just don't think that he had that emotional attachment. I think he loved what Felix represented, and I think that he loved the fact that Felix gave him access to something. I was I was going to say that, yeah, I thought that he loved him in a way, but the way that you put that, Brianna, was a lot better. Like I think that's a lot more accurate. I don't I I don't think he loved him. He loved he he obsessed about him. And I think that was that's, you know, what the director said she wanted to do or she wanted to examine and i think it was well done that way um and yeah yeah no more notes you said it all brianna <laughs> see i knew my checkered dating history would come in handy i can recognize all these red flags y'all <laughs> <laughs> given you a extremely highly lucrative career in film analysis that's right also i will be happy to screen your potential dating partners call me today <laughs> <laughs> well new segment for the show is your potential dating partner horror brianna weighs in <laughs> I, I would slay at that bit of bunch <laughs> all right so as previously discussed, this film has a reputation for being shocking. Uh, it sounds like we'd all kind of heard that beforehand, and I'm kind of wondering how that affected it going in for you. Did it change the experience? Could it have been a horror if you'd gone in not knowing anything? Um, I don't think it affected how I watched it. I'm I'm a weirdo who can read all the spoilers and still sort of enjoy the movie for what it is. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I have a good answer for that one. Joe, you go ahead. <laughs> for me, I, I would say that, yeah, it did affect. So it, it affected me. And I, I kind of already mentioned it a little bit 
the like I'd seen some stuff for it and I kind of had I definitely had an expectation going into it and for me there was tension for me watching this movie but I it was the sort of tension that was like I kept waiting for it to get really like nuts really off the wall and um and it it sort of like it never hit that note for me in the way that I thought it was going to, um, which is not to say that it, you know, didn't deliver its message and it wasn't powerful in its own way. It just didn't hit the tones that I, that I expected it to hit. Uh, so I, I think my, my previous expectations for it. Yeah. Did, did change how I viewed it. And, and maybe, maybe if I hadn't have had the, that going into it, I, I think I maybe would have felt a little bit differently about it. If I would have just gone in like cold Turkey, like didn't see or know anything about it. Uh, you know, I think I probably would have even been more disturbed about a lot of it just cause I wouldn't have been expecting worse. I think. Honestly, at the end of the day, I think I found Emerald Fennel's other film, Promising Young Woman, more disturbing than I found this. But yeah, I think I set the bar too high for myself. I, it's not like I go out of my way to watch overly disturbing horror films. I'm sure I've seen stuff that really upsets some people out there and everyone has different thresholds. So I guess I was just, I was saying, oh, it's going to be real bad. And then because it never got real bad, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, I don't know. There's some weird stuff, but it's it's fine. So I think that I, before even watching it, probably talked myself out of being able to classify this movie as horror. So I, I'll, I'll say it affected me on that level, I think. And now going through and trying to quantify all of it, I think I'm still willing to stick with that description, but I think it maybe kept me from even having an initial gut reaction that maybe it was horror. And then I think another aspect too, of course, that's important with horror is tension building in general. So I guess I wanted to see, did you feel like there was, was there a lot of tension in this film? Were there a lot of tense moments or did you feel like it was more, more with the black comedy line where it was, it was kind of comedic drama throughout, but never really tense. I'm going to go with option number two there because um, I, I, I don't think there was enough like the build up and let down. Um, I think a lot of the tension really did center around the the ick factor points. I think that that was mostly where where the where the aspect of this being disturbing really kind of stemmed from. I think uh, the tension for me was kind of how I mentioned already. Just like I brought the tension myself to it, expecting expecting something that it wasn't and that I, it would have been better for me if I wouldn't have done that, but I did. Uh, the other, I think kind of tension that the movie plays with is it's, I think it's summed up pretty well when like Oliver and Farley have their one conversation where Farley's just like, this is, you know, just one magical summer for you that you're going to think about for the rest of your life and you'll never be able to get back to. And, I, th- I thought that was a really interesting conversation. And, you know, if the movie hadn't gone the way it had, like I, th- it's sort of like I could feel that tension retroactively a little bit through the movie of like kind of Oliver, like getting a taste of this life and knowing that it can't last, knowing that it won't be this way forever and knowing that he'll have to leave and go back to his other life. Um, 
at some point. I, I, I think that is maybe where the tension is in the movie, at least for me. Yeah, I think I would agree. It's just, like you said, that's a good way of putting it, too, is just the tension that I build up for myself around what I thought was going to happen in the movie and kind of waiting for it on that level. But I don't think the movie actively supplied or was going for that exactly. So, yeah, it's, you know, you're along for the ride, but I don't think that the movie's trying to build that kind of tension. So that's just another reason why it didn't really come across as horror for me. And then, so there is a popular fan theory around this film, and we'll get into exactly what that is in just a sec, but just kind of to look at the idea in general, do you feel like a fan theory can completely recontextualize a film enough to change its genre for you? Have you ever experienced that with a film? I don't think that I have. Unless we count the times when I've said it's not horror and you all convince me that it is by the end of the show. <laughs> I don't know. I I think it's, a little, for me, it's a little bit case-by-case case scenario. It depends on how much I can buy into the theory. And if it makes sense to me, then I think I I, I feel like I could be open to kind of a change in perspective on that if it if it makes enough sense. A lot of, I, I feel like a lot of times when I f- hear fan theories about different movies or video games or things, it's there's, it's maybe just too a little too much of a stretch. And it's like, yeah, I guess so. Um, but it, it's like I could see why you're saying those things, but I can't really buy into it. Uh, and so, I, I guess my experience with those types of things has usually just been, I I usually stick with my initial feelings on it. Yeah, I think I'd kind of feel the same way about it. I don't think, I can't think of an example of a time that I've heard a fan theory so compelling about a film that it completely changed the way I view the film. I'm I'm sure it could happen. I guess that's where I'm at. I think it could happen, but I, I haven't experienced that yet myself. So... Anyway, without further ado on that, the popular fan theory about Saltburn is that Oliver is actually a vampire. And some of the evidence that's given for that is, first off, Oliver describes himself during that sex scene as, you're lucky I'm a vampire. Uh, Oliver also seems to have, just in general, seems to have a hunger for bodily fluids, all kinds of bodily fluids. Uh, He is figuratively feeding off of the family. He seems to come alive more at night. Uh, He needs an invitation of sorts to engage with the family, the invitation to come to Saltburn, the invitation into Felix's life, the invitation into Felix's room again. Um, Some vampire fiction involves mythic qualities of dirt from the home country, so it's a real stretch, but some people have kind of pegged in the grave sequences, some sort of weird fetishization of the dirt of the ground (laughs) so we'll see about that and then uh some people have even thrown out the idea of him being an emotional vampire like say colin robinson from in what we do in the shadows and then to round all of that out you have a quote from emerald fennel that says 
quote, certainly metaphorically, it is a vampire film. It is about what we do when we're completely besotted with something or someone. I hope it's part of the classic gothic tradition where love and hate are very, very close together. End quote. So, could you see Oliver's character as a kind of vampire, and does that change the genre classification for you? I'm going to agree with uh, Emerald on this one and say that it's only in metaphor, so it definitely would not change my mind at all. Yeah, I guess it is one of those, one of the fan theories that's like, it, I can see what they're saying and why they're saying it, but it doesn't ring enough truth to me to kind of buy into it. I I almost see him as maybe like the sort of person or the sort of character that like <laughs> where the myth of vampires comes from is like because he is feeding off the family in a way and you know uh so uh and you know maybe telling stories he can you know and fantasticizing <laughs> things like that like i i guess i can kind of see like sort of his type of person being inspiration for a vampire type character but uh and i think the closest he comes to like i i really like that the i the idea of him being the emotional vampire like from what we do in the shadows because well he's a <laughs> he's a hilarious character <laughs> but uh, i think it's a little more yeah. if anything it's a little more in tune with something like that yeah i i think it's an interesting theory but i think that it doesn't ring true enough or add enough to it to get my buy-in on it in terms of the film i think there's that whole concept within scientific disciplines that the idea of a theory being elegantly simple but explaining a lot of phenomena all at once and at least for that being the test of a good theory a good fan film theory we'll say i don't feel like it really passes the muster here because i feel like there's a few things that kind of get there, but mostly it's a bit of a stretch, and I think mostly it just hinges on that one line, really. You're lucky I'm a vampire. I don't feel like looking at the film that way adds anything for me, and it certainly doesn't kick it into a different genre classification at all, because at the end of the day, the rest of the film still is what it is, whether Oliver turned out to be a vampire or not. And as Brianna pointed out, and as Emerald said, you know, there's the metaphor of it, sure, but the intention of him literally being a vampire wasn't there. Yeah, and also, side note, I would like to point out that pretty much any guy who's about to get his red wings will make a vampire joke, so it just does not hold water in this case. <laughs> bathtub water. It's just, yeah, <laughs> it's just bathtub water. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So Emerald Fennel also said in that quote that she hopes Saltburn is part of the gothic tradition. So do you see this as a gothic film? Maybe in a, you know, in the more traditional sense, not in the crow sense that we've already talked about this season. Um, I, I can see where the parallels are. For me personally, I don't think I would call this gothic. I think this is a modern gothic interpretation. For me, true gothic tales need to have... Um, I don't know, a little bit more beauty and romance. Like, this was kind of bleak. I mean, the, the landscape was lovely and the actors were all extremely physically attractive, but I, this was a little too raw 
for for me to call it like a gothic tale like real romance not sociopathic romance right like this is yeah this is like a this is like a mickey and mallory situation more so than a romance i don't know what do you think joe uh sorry i was just trying to think if i had anything substantial to add to that i i don't think i really do i think i tend to agree um that it didn't really feel like a gothic movie to me uh but i'm no expert on gothic movies either so i i don't know if i have uh, the credentials nor i oh you two need to hang out with me more i'm gonna give you a watch list okay <laughs> please do yeah i'll watch stuff It'll be our summer watch list. Lots of corsets, maybe some bloomers, carriages, things like that. Okay. Can do. And then we'll be all ready for the next season. That's right. All right. So getting to one of the things we've been covering a bit more lately is just scares in general. Was Saltburn ever scary? And if so, what was the scariest part? No, for me, it was not frightening in any way. For me, it was, um, I don't know, it always managed to keep you somewhat separated from the characters. You know, there was not that empathetic thing that I need to happen um, for for me to be afraid for a character. So I, I don't think it was scary. I don't think so either. Um, I don't know, I was kind of thinking about it and like... <sighs> I mean, some horrible things happened to these people, but as we've already stated, like you weren't, you weren't ever, like they're not good people, so you don't feel that bad about it. But the other part of that, I think, is the movie on the whole is sort of like like the sex scenes are a little bit like of a microcosm of the movie. I feel like where it's like I f- feel like a lot of the times the characters are giving consent to this thing happening to them, uh, and I guess you know. In the end, it cost a lot of them their lives, which is terrible. But like, at any point, like any of them, at uh, at nearly any point, any of them could have walked away from it. Uh, but I don't know. Just they were blinded to the danger uh, for one reason or another. Um, but anyways, I guess all that to say that maybe there's the maybe there's a, a scary factor in that that could be kind of true to real life. Like, you know, nobody thinks they're going to get murdered. And um, so that can be scary. The idea that you won't see the warning signs until it's too late. Uh, But, uh, but I don't know. It, it, it never was scary to me, I guess is the short version of that. I do think it's an interesting idea, though, too. I think it's probably better explored or intentionally explored, is maybe the case to say, in, like, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. We have the... Spoiler for that movie. You've got the serial killer that's in there, and him just talking about, in general, the idea of how people are so ingrained with being polite that they'll put themselves in dangerous situations that they know are dangerous out of... I don't know what the excuse of civility 
And I mean, the same thing happens too with the film Speak No Evil, if anyone's familiar with that, which that one made me mad more than anything. I know people talk about that film as being disturbing, but it just made me mad. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, there's just, um, yeah, people putting themselves in danger in the name of civility. I guess I don't really have much more to say about it than that. So that part in terms of reality, I think could be, may be considered scary but it's a stretch to say that saltburn ever deals with it in a way that feels scary within the film i think the closest that it ever gets to any place that feels at all scary is maybe maybe just briefly there's some interesting imagery during oliver's birthday party at the end that if you took out of context and just showed a frame maybe here or there to someone that they might find unsettling Okay, sounds like we're ready to move on to review then. So, uh, how did you like Saltburn? How many dead members of the aristocracy out of five did you give it? So, my initial review, like, immediately after watching this was, I'm never going to get those two hours of my life back. But... I'm going to I'm going to reiterate that the acting in this movie was so good. Like every single actor just nailed the shit out of this and it was it was extremely well done from that standpoint. So I am going to give it 3.375 stars out of 5. My uh knee gut reaction was very similar like as like what did I watch just watch that was stupid and i'm kind of mad about it uh but uh i i think that's unfair that was unfair of me to have that reaction i think it i think it was a well done movie and i do think that it it hit the notes that emerald said she was going for as far as like exploring obsession and sort of um that those ideas lust and obsession and that kind of thing i don't know that she ever used the word lust but at least obsession and what how that how how uh, destructive that can be. And so I do think that the movie did get a, did do a good job of exploring the, some of those ideas. And as, as we've said, like I, and I agree with, uh, I think everybody acted very well. Um, there was some things I didn't like about it, even with all that being said. And I, you know, I didn't like in like any of the people, the characters themselves, but, um, yeah, anyways, all that to say, I guess I I think I land pretty close to the same. I think I'd give it three and a half to four dead members of the aristocracy. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd I'd give it I'd give it three point five. So three whole members and then half a member of a dead member of the aristocracy. <laughs> so that's all I'll go with three point five. But I think the thing is, um you know, I, I didn't I enjoyed watching it well enough. I never disliked it or never got bored exactly with it or anything so that's good but at the same time too i don't think i would ever i don't think i would end up watching it again personally i do think that it's a very pretty movie i think that the color palette is chosen very well very deliberately lots of uh purples lavenders yellows just the the play of that i know it's supposed to be summer but it's like it's the most springy thing. If you took like that final frame of the main character in midsummer and then said, that's the color palette for our movie. That's where they got here. And it works very well. 
Yeah. Also, the lighting was really divine. Like that, the the bathtub scene. It is so. It was shot so well. Like it. It was like a picture. The whole movie was like that. Yeah, I would agree. Like oil painting vibes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I definitely I could see that. Uh, the other thing I guess I just see people mention too with this film is that they call it an eat the rich film, but I really don't think it is at all. I, I think maybe a gut reaction would be to call it that, but I just, I don't think that's what this film is. What do you guys think? Really? Oh, no. See, I would absolutely agree with that. hundred percent. Yeah. So my, yeah, my gut reaction was to see it as an eat the rich film, but the, the more we kind of, the more I kind of thought about it and the more like I, I, I got less farther and farther away from that uh, description of it. The more I thought about it, like I just uh, like, cause I feel like there's just a lot of problems with that metaphor for me in this movie because like it's, there's no, I don't know. There's no moral compass to it. Like, you know, Oliver is perhaps the, I think he is, he definitely is the worst of the worst and I, I don't know I just didn't uh, I don't know we can, I don't know how much you want to get into this no go by all means go for it well I I guess uh yeah like I feel like it's problematic to have Oliver be that person and like the the scene I mentioned earlier with him like dis or, or just throwing away his other friend who is more like say economically on his level, I feel like is problematic with that metaphor too. Cause it's sort of like, okay, it can be eat the rich, I guess, but it's also eat the poor and it's eat anybody who has something that I want. Uh, and I, I guess that felt problematic to me uh, in calling it a strictly eat the rich movie. See, I guess I kind of lean that way too, just because I, I don't know. I guess I would have thought that it would have more of a uh, maybe moral stance or make the the rich people seem out and out worse. But by having Oliver stand out as worse than these people when it's all said and done with the reveal, I think kind of takes away from that reading of it, at least for me. I will say, though, that if maybe they had, as I'd mentioned earlier, left the ending ambiguous where you couldn't be sure if Oliver was the one that had actually killed these people rather than them having a rash of suicides, then I think I maybe could have erred more in that direction since there was, there'd be uncertainty about exactly what happened to them and if they didn't somehow befall fates that they had earned in some way, you know? I don't know, maybe that's a little half-baked, but I guess that's kind of what's running through my head about it. So all in all, would you recommend this film? Yeah, I think it's it should be maybe a required watch. Uh, I think that just because of like the the waves it's created, um, I don't know, socially, culturally, whatever, it's getting a whole lot of buzz. And I think that this is going to be one of those movies that like whether you like it or not, it's something that you should probably watch because it's quite possibly going to be one of the most talked about things you know in the year and it's very pretty to watch if you can get past the ick factor <laughs> there's contrast in all things right that's right yeah 
I uh, I guess I'm a little on the fence on as far as recommend recommending it. I I see that point you're saying, Brianna, and I think that that there is a lot of there can be a lot of value in it. Uh, but I'm just thinking of like I feel like I'd be careful about who I'd recommended it to. Like I wouldn't say I don't think I'd say it every everyone like my wife's never going to watch this movie <laughs> and I wouldn't recommend it to her, for example. <laughs> I'm not going to recommend this movie to anyone over the age of 45. Or comfortably under the age of 18. Yes, it is a very, very strict window. Definitely over 18, but under 45. Yeah, that's fair. I just barely made the cutoff. <laughs> All right. Well, any other thoughts before we close out this episode? I am never going to hear murder on the dance floor and not see his naked butt just traipsing through the marble hallways. It is forever ingrained (laughs) in my brain. Same. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of Is It Horror? Thanks for joining us and uh, join us back here in two weeks when we'll be talking about Death Becomes Her and we'll have we'll be back to full power with our full cast. So see us back then. And I have been Steve. And I've been Brianna. And I'm Joe. You should have the uh, outro music for this be uh, Murder on the Dance Floor. Murder on the dance floor. And um, that's not even the tune. But anyway, that's fine. Okay, bye. (laughs) Okay, bye. Stay out of the bathtub. Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. To stay up to date on all things Is It Horror, follow us on Instagram or X at Is It Horror Pod or email us at Is It Horror Podcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, you can recommend us to a friend, follow and rate us on your podcast app of choice, or you can check out our store on Redbubble. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is it horror?